0: <hetven> Girl, you got it. Got it. Girl, you got it. Got it. you got it. Got it. you got it. you. Happy hump day and welcome back to the Urban Girl Corporate World Podcast, your one-stop shop for winning at work. I'm your dopest hostess with the mostest, Nicole, and I am thrilled that you chose to get over the hump this week with me. Today's guest is an incredibly smart gentleman as well as a fantastic thought and people leader. He is GM of a half a billion dollar business at a Fortune 500 organization, but he's also a lecturer at the Columbia University where he speaks on Enterprise Risk Management and Cognitive Bias, Chris Magno. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Nicole. Happy to be here.
0: Man, I'm so excited to have you here. So Chris and I have known each other. So this is probably creepy. I know like the exact uh, one or two months that we met. It was in either August or September, somewhere between the summer of 2014. And we were kind of like two ships passing in the night, but I invited you to lunch. And we had a fantastic time and we've kind of been like connected ever since.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And,
0: and it's been fun. It's like, I've, um, I have not been shy about saying that I've wanted to work closely with you in all of those <laughs> seven years since we met a long time ago. I mean, we've gotten the opportunity to, in a couple spaces, but I'm super glad that we're here today so that we can like kind of dive deep and just talk about all the fantastic things that you do. So first of all, can we just start with your course at Columbia? Can you just sure. walk me through? Cause it just sounds super amazing. Um, how did all this get started and, and, and what is it about and, and what joy does it bring
1: you? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I teach two courses uh, at Columbia primarily. One is a traditional risk management course where you learn all about all of the risk management frameworks and, and how to you kind of involve risk in your decision making. Um, but the course that I'm, I'm really excited about and interested in is one I helped co-create with a uh, professor from Princeton University. And that course is Cognitive Bias and Risk. And what that course does, it's an elective, right? sounds like an elective, right? (laughs) Cognitive Bias and Risk. What it does is it helps um, risk practitioners, business people, you name it, to identify cognitive biases, of which there are many. If you Google cognitive bias, there are tons of biases out there. But it helps you to identify those biases and then mitigate them to the extent that you can in your day-to-day decision-making, be that at work or be that you know, at home. And, and just as a, a basic, basic example, um, you know, one of those bi- you know, biases or one of those heuristics is mental accounting. So how many times have you had a vacation fund and you're putting money away? Now you've got another account that's got you know thousands and thousands of dollars in it, but you have that vacation fund and it's got a couple hundred dollars and someone says, hey, are you ready to book that vacation? You say, no, I don't have enough money. And the truth is you do have enough money. It's just not in your vacation fund. Mm-hmm. So this mental accounting, that's a simple, you know, homespun example, but these types of things um, happen at work all the time, right? We, we don't recognize that money or budgets are fungible. And so we put them in different buckets and we sub-optimize our decision-making. So why it's so fun is that the examples that we use in this class um, are numerous. And they they span from your day-to-day, you know, at home decision-making to, you know, your work and um once you throw some of these concepts out you know students can't raise their hand fast enough although on zoom it's not raising your hand it's clicking a button but yeah um, it's it's so relevant and i learn as much from students um as they do from this course so uh really really enjoy teaching it.
0: what made you decide to author this course
1: well it, it interestingly um about three summers ago, I got contacted by the uh, director of the program, and uh, they said, you know, what do you know about cognitive bias uh, and risk? And I said, well, I know about risk, but I don't know much about cognitive bias. And they said, would you be interested in putting something together from a practitioner's perspective with a cognitive scientist? And then the answer was absolutely. So I think the, the, the moral of the story is, um, as long as you have a willingness to learn about something and to kind of throw yourself in whole, wholeheartedly, um, yeah, the benefits can be, can be many.
0: Totally agree. Um, that's pretty much been my story of moving into cybersecurity, right? I mean, I literally could barely hook up a printer before. And so now it's like, yeah, now I'm advising leaders on how to like build their cybersecurity programs, but it's it's just a complete learning journey. And what I found is that like, it, it really is, cybersecurity really is risk and technology having a baby. So I like the idea <laughs> of great. like, like pulling risk with other things together. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's such an important part of how we do business with just like everything going on today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your career journey, because I'm pretty sure a lot of, you know, how you conduct or construct your courses mm-hmm. um, is influenced a lot by your experience. You've got really, really great experience. I know you studied at Cornell, so you're obviously super smart. Undergraduate did accounting. Talk to me about your journey.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been a you know to quote the Grateful Dead, what a long strange trip it's been. Uh, and it's you know it started off as a traditional accountant at a bank. I started at, um, and I'm going to date myself here, but the Chemical Bank uh, before it became, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, I guess it is today. But as an auditor, um, so started as an auditor, and, and one of the skills that most good auditors have is intellectual curiosity, and um, and the ability to you know diplomatically speak up and challenge ideas. And so started there. And, um, you know, my career progressed more traditionally through the accounting uh, and, and finance. You know, I worked at J.P. Morgan. I was a um, uh, you know, corporate controller type type of role. Um, But then it all kind of got turned on its ear when I went to business school and I said, let me try something different. Um, And I became a a management consultant. And as a consultant, you have to do the same things you did as an auditor, which are, you know, intellectual curiosity, productive questioning of, you know, the status quo. But now you're actually recommending things to be put in, whereas as an auditor, you're keeping a score and you're kind of giving some ideas. But now I'm actually recommending. Um, And I did that for a bit. um, And then from there, I said, I would love to do this where every engagement for audit, you recommend, you move on to the next engagement. You never get to see the fruition of kind of what you've recommended. Um, so from there, I've went, I went into um, you know, more of a banking strategy role where I work, started to work for a client of mine, um, which is a large you know, you know, UBS, it's a large multinational bank, and really started to run strategy and business development for their payments technology. Um, And that's where I really fell in love with strategy and being part of the business. Um, Continued through that journey, um, took it to another level where I ran strategy for Chapstick, for Centrum, right, which is now Pfizer, part of Pfizer, but it was part of Wyeth. And really being able to come up with the idea, listen to the customer, listen to the associate, put all that information together with your data and come up with an idea that you can then see. In the case of Wyeth on the shelves, in the case of you know UBS, you know on a website in terms of a trading platform, um, and my entire career have, has been kind of characterized by that um, intellectual curiosity, the need to understand and to think um, about how to improve things. Um, and you mentioned, you know, more recently, I've been uh, kind of doing some of that, but also um, risk management and erm. Uh, and and to me, when people say, well, that was a that's a pretty big, you know, kind of change from strategy. It's not because strategy and risk are two sides of the same coin. Uh, You can't uh, decide on a good strategy without a uh, great risk assessment. You can't do a great risk Mm -hmm. assessment without the understanding of of the strategy. So it's all the same thing, which is basically questioning the status quo, looking down the road ahead and trying to figure out what decisions and what strategies to put in place uh, to best uh, take advantage of the opportunities before you.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think we're seeing that in the cybersecurity space too, right? It's like, I think tech was traditionally like a back office thing for so long, but now it's like so much of the offerings that we have as a business, right? Are through software products and technology yeah. products, right? So we have to bring the two together and, and have the 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 collective conversation. One thing that I like about your um, progress in addition to an intellectual curiosity, this is probably a skill I didn't know I built as an auditor, but now that I'm hearing your experience with business development, it's sticking out. Sales in a sense, right? Like yeah. you've got to craft your messaging. You've got to understand your audience yeah. and you've got to be able to deliver like in like the what's in it for me for that, yeah. right? So coming from a leadership sp- uh, role in the business development piece, what were some of like the key things to really being effective um, in in, in uh, the sales space.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting and I'm glad you said that because I, I say to, to my team and I say to anyone that I, that'll listen, I say, we're all in sales, we're all in sales. Now it's a balance, right? You're in cybersecurity, right, risk. Um, if you're too salesy, right, then you, and you don't have enough detail, then you, you know, you risk, you know, not having credibility with the people you need to have credibility with. Um, If you go the other way and you're too technical and you don't have enough of that you know, ability to synthesize things, um, for the audience that you're speaking to, um, you've got, you've got the opposite problem, right. Where you've got maybe credibility, but no one wants to listen to you because you're the most boring person in the room. So some of the things I took out of that is, you know, you always have to be something selling something, um, to remain relevant. Right. And if you're in, if you're in, quote unquote sales, you have a quota and someone can look at that scorecard and go, you know, what What did Nicole do this month while well, she sold X dollars and she's 150% of plan and she was great. As someone that is working in maybe not a traditional sales function or even in a business development or strategy function, you need to continue to sell ideas such that the value that you create is very tangible to the organization that is funding you and your team and and everything else so i think the keys to that as you mentioned is know your audience um read body language right if someone's eyes are kind of darting around get to the point right show a different visual um use a different anecdote Um, but ultimately the key to sales is credible storytelling yeah that's how i think about it
0: Uh, yes storytelling is super important whether you're an auditor, whether you're a leader, whether you're in yeah. sales, whether you're in tech, it's definitely, um, kind of, kind of the, the collective point for, for getting people from getting from idea to reality. Right. It's how you tell the story. Now I can imagine, um, along your journey, you've had some challenges and some wins. Can we talk about some of the biggest challenges you faced?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I think challenges, you know, come in different different forms, right? And you know, you, you have personal challenges, right? Cuz work you can't always be 100 110% at work because you've got right what's the and I'm going to botch this, but what's the famous quote? I don't know if it's Aristotle or Socrates. Everyone's fighting a battle you know nothing about. And that means that you've got your your personal challenges, you've got your professional challenges. How do you balance them? Um, so for me, you know, I think a lot of it challenges, you know, having a young family, you know, many years ago um, and trying to balance that with the uh, challenges of work and, and trying to bring your A game every day. But knowing that, hey, I may have to, you know, focus elsewhere for a half a day or for, for time here. Um, that's that's one of the challenges. You know, the other challenges um, come in more of a business sense when you either don't have the resources you don't have the executive support or you don't have the corporate vision to succeed and here you are being asked to succeed so those are kind of the two types of challenges i've seen again one on a more personal level where we're all trying to balance our 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 jobs with our lives you know and then secondly when you're in a bad situation you know good people put in bad situations you know, uh, have to find a way out of it. So that's kind of the second, um, the bucket that I would call.
0: Yeah. How have you overcome either one of those? Like, And I, and I think a lot of us can pretty much identify with either one of those, but let's, let's deal with the latter one, right? So yeah. not having those resources, but still needing to deliver, like, how do, you, how, do, how do you manage that? How did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, give you an example. I was running an ERM program at a Fortune 500 company with, um, with two people. Uh, and so you're not given the resources and then you go to your, your board audit committee or your you know, risk committee, if you have one and they're going, well, you didn't do anything. What'd you do? Well, I only have two people. We don't care, you know, get it done. Um, I think the best thing you can do is to simplify and to go back to basic blocking and tackling. What are some of the things we can do with one person, with two people, with three people, it doesn't matter how many you have to move the needle. So in that example, one of the things um, I did was to improve the communication between the board and the rest of the organization with respect to risk, with respect to audit. And that sounds very kind of uh, sophisticated. And I'll tell you, it was as simple as preparing a report that showed everyone where we were from an audit issue, from a risk perspective, red, yellow, green, like a stoplight report. And it's amazing that two people working on one simple report that... You put it in a textbook, you blink, you miss it. Um, But just improving the communication, improving the transparency um, was an early win. That early win gets you another head. Now you've got another person. What can I do now to add value? How do you know where the value points are? You ask people, you listen, right? And it's pretty apparent if it's there. And then by the way, once you understand what the issue is, between the time that the issue Is solved by you and your small team and the time that you're building it that's where sales comes in right we're selling futures you're getting them excited about what's coming here's a mock-up of what we're putting together you're testing for understanding you're soft selling the difference between when you get to your first goal and and where you start all that you got to sell otherwise you're going to be pretty short for that role right yeah um, so that's that's an example. It doesn't have to be complex. Mm-hmm. Listen, understand the need of your stakeholder, your client, and then do something within your control that you can over deliver on that mm-hmm. moves the needle that mm-hmm. buys you more time. It buys you more resources.
0: Storytelling. Right. Again, under yeah. promise, over deliver. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and essentially you're hedging in, in yeah. a sense. Right. I like that. I like that. I will say, I remember when I, um, I moved into a new role about a year and a half ago and I, and I um, had, um, they're building out this team. Team's very new. And I was going to be able to build and staff my own team. But of course, you kind of know how that goes. It's like, oh, yeah. you got to get the approvals and this, 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 and that. But in the interim, I still had a lot of work that I needed to, to deliver on. And yes. I found that, to your point, the thing that really saved me um, was simplification And prioritization and communication, right? Just sharing with my manager, like, hey, here are all the things that we need to get done. Here's what I can get done. And then delivering on those things. So it's very true. Now, speaking about team and resources, you definitely have a knack for building fantastic teams. Like Everybody that I've met, worked with who works for you, phenomenal people like some of my favorite, favorite people talk to me about the secret sauce of like building uh, high performing
1: um, teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's so important. And that's the thing probably I'm most passionate about, you know, from a, from a, um, uh, you know, work perspective, it's, you have to have the right teams, the right leaders, the right associates. And it's, you know, it's, I've had, about a 25 year career. So you, you get pretty good at it if you practice enough, right? When you meet people and you talk to people, um, you start to understand what who has the it factor, right? And what is that it factor? It starts with, for me, it starts with, like I said, they have to be able to have a conversation. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal this line, but I forget one of my coworkers said this when I was in audit. They said, um, if, you, if, if you don't want to have lunch with a person, you shouldn't hire that person because that person's going to make other people not want to have lunch with them and the person's going to make them uncomfortable. So first and foremost, there has to be a likability. They have, the person has to have, um, you know, kind of a, they have to be real. Uh, they have to be likable. They have to be conversant. You can have a conversation, you can have lunch with them. Right. Um, after that, to me, it's a passion, right? It's, it's, it's something that makes that person want to be great at what they do. Right. Cause it's tough to get motivated every day. And if you wait for a corporate comp plan to motivate you. If you wait for some cookie to motivate you, that's never, it may never come. So it's, that person has to be self-motivated to be great. They want to be great. Um, And then, like I said earlier, intellectual curiosity. And the one thing I'll add is an attention to detail, an attention to detail. You put those together and you've got a a, a great package. And I always hire someone um, or work with people that I feel could be my boss someday. Because mm-hmm. that's the goal. The goal is to hire the next, whatever CEO board member, um, and but someone humble enough to want to put in the time and the work to get there. So that's this. It's it's there's no formula, but to me, if I were to boil it down, it's likability. It's um, att- you know intellectual curiosity, attention to detail. You know, and again, they have to have that that ability to to uh, to, to tell a story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are all important things. I remember it's so, it's so funny. You say that. I remember many, many years ago, I interviewed with this really great company. Um, I was uh, between them and another, and I went to lunch with the folks and I just didn't have a good time. Yep. Right. And I was like an auditor, you know, you're traveling with people, you're working with people, you're having dinner with people. You spend a lot of your waking hours with them. So, um, That's really important. So let's, let's talk about leadership now that we've talked about, you know, your strategy for people hiring. Talk to me about your brand and your leadership style.
1: Yeah, I think, I think as a leader, you know, how many, how many bosses have we both had in our collective careers, right? So you, you learn what works, you know, who you like working for and what, what elements and what attributes make them a good boss or make them a bad boss, right? And so, you know, I think the first, the first thing is, you know, kind of back to who do you want to work with you? Be real, right? Um, you know, be real with people, be transparent. Um, if, if something comes up, you know, that, you know, maybe doesn't uh, sit right, like, say it, like, be transparent, invite that transparency back, don't have an ego. Um, I think, you know, optimism is always a great leadership trait. Not blind optimism, right? So if you see something that you know could be an impediment or something that maybe happened that that's that's not you know a fortunate event, call it out. Hey, that was that's a that slowed us down, but it's not going to stop us, right? So optimism, transparency, um, and uh, just having people's back, fighting for your team, right? Um, you, the worst feeling in the world that I've had as as an employee is when, um, I went. To bat for something and my boss either overturned that decision um or didn't have my back strong strongly enough on it so you know that to me there's there's no worse feeling than your boss not having your back so mm-hmm. have people's back be transparent be real and be positive right yeah don't be don't be you know pollyanna or blindly positive but mm-hmm. be real but be positive right because if you're not who will be
0: yeah is people leadership the hardest part of your job
1: it's the easiest Uh, Mm -hmm. because uh, if you hire the right people, it's Mm -hmm. a pleasure. Yeah. I mean, the best, my best time of my week is one-on-ones, uh, with my leaders, skip levels. It's in between, you know, when we can be in the office checking in with each other. uh, Um, it's the easiest part if the the hiring. Right.
0: That's refreshing. That's really, really refreshing. So let's, let's take a shift back to risk management, but th- sure. there was no way I could have you and not talk about like <laughs> people and leadership. Cause I just, yeah. I love your people and I love, love working with your people when I've had the opportunity, but let's talk about risk management. So as we think about everything that's happening, right. Yeah. Talk to me about, um, what you try to impart, whether it be at the fortune 500 company that you're a leader at, or whether it's with your students at Columbia, what are some of the things that Organizations need to be mindful of as they build organizations, build risk management organizations for the
1: future. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you started with the answer, um, or you alluded to it earlier. You know, technology is now front and center everywhere. So, you know, first and foremost, you don't have to be you know a technological expert, but you do need to be someone that that's familiar with it. Or if you're not, be willing to learn about it. Um, you know, one of the things when I entered the risk world, you know, probably several years ago uh, or re-entered it because I was in audit earlier on. Uh, first thing I did is went and got my my CISA uh, certification, um, not because I needed it for my role, but because it was a structured way for me to get uh, reintroduced into, you know, what's going on in technology. And even if you knew what was going on five years ago, you might not know what's going on now. Yeah. Uh, so that to me at the forefront Um you know the other piece of it is uh, don't build structures, or I'll say it in a positive way: make sure the structures you build to govern the risk function um, are embedded firmly uh, within the business, either formally or informally. Because um, yes, we have a data scientist that does a lot of our risk analytics, but data without context uh, is really not useful. So. I encourage people to make sure they have that connection with the business, to make sure they have that credibility with the business and make sure you have that informal relationship with the business, whether it's with sales or with an operational group or even a product or development group, such that they're not calling you once the thing broke, right? They're calling you, right? The best thing we can do is, you know, privacy by design, right? Security in the design. Um, How do you get into those conversations, into those meetings? And you don't do it by making like this audit-based or compliance-based risk uh, function that has no, you know, bearing, bearing on the field. So, and then I think the third piece is what I said, you know, earlier, which is you hire intellectually curious people. Um, like you said, you know, you came into a cyber and you didn't know much about it, and now look where you are. So um, you, I always go hire the best athlete, and th- th- we can figure this stuff out, right? It's just what you can if you're not passionate and you don't have intellectual curiosity and all the things we talked about.
0: Yeah, agreed. Very much agreed. I like the idea of embedding risk management in the operations because it's always an afterthought. Um, One of the things that I liked least about being an auditor, and I'll say I liked many things about being an auditor, but one of the things that I liked least about being an auditor was I felt like we were very uh, reactive um, and, and I felt like we would come to the business disrupt everything I know you guys are trying Mm -hmm. to keep your business going but we need reports and we need to evaluate these Mm -hmm. things then we then we say I'm going to make a list of everything I found wrong tell me how you're going to fix it and then I'm going to tell everybody Mm -hmm. everybody being the board and like all the way up the value chain right from your organization um so I really identify with earlier when you talked about um I identified earlier when you talked about not just saying here's what's wrong, here's how to go fix it, but being a part of that process. Like there's so much learning and juice like right there um, that you don't get when you're like, oh, here's a recommendation and and you walk away. So I I like that um, the idea of risk management as a journey um, and not just a prescriptive process. Um, What do you think a lot of organizations get wrong with risk management?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a couple things. I think it's what we talked about a bit, which is the compartment compartmentalization of it. So putting it in its own kind of uh, silo and and hoping for the best. I think you know regulated organizations typically get it right because. They're forced to by regulators, but the non-regulated entities, they'll hire a couple people, they'll put them in a uh, kind of a siloed, maybe they'll be, even report to audit, you know, depending, um, and they'll leave them there. And then when it's time to invest um, into that function, there's, they don't put money there, they put it, put it, you know, elsewhere. Um, I think the other thing they get wrong is when you think about risk data, you know, right, key risk indicators, um, there's, there's a lot of overlap between key performance indicators. And so, Organizations need to start to look at risk just as they look at every other business metric in their organization. So, when they're looking at whatever their balance scorecard is or their metrics or their right, there has to be the risk metrics in there too. Um, and in many cases, they're one in the same with the business metrics. So, again, it's really about the integration. We've seen not to get too kind of You know, risk geeky with you, but we've seen, you know, even COSO with the COSO ERM cube, they've transitioned to now COSO with the new model that is much more strategically focused. Same thing with our international standards with ISO 31,000. They've now put um, a lot more language around uh, value creation and around business integration. So what do they get wrong? they separate it. It's not separate. It's part of your business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Totally agreed. It definitely can't be an Island.
1: So Chris, what's next
0: for you? What, what have you got going on?
1: Yeah, I think what's next is, just continue to, to learn from, uh, from my students uh, and yeah. continue to kind of go down the research path with, with a lot of the concepts around cognitive bias. Uh, you know, you know, Potentially at some point, I've I've done an article here or there with some of my colleagues, but maybe do a little bit more of that. And then on the business side, you know, like I said, I, I'm I'm uh, really enjoying having both the commercial aspect of the business as well as the risk aspect. So um, continuing to grow, you know, the business I'm in, uh, you know, uh, to over a billion dollars. And I think um, it's it's we started as a small uh, you know business unit within a larger company, and the magic is in the fact that. We're nimble and we have risk embedded. In fact, mm-hmm. under the same management as we have the commercial aspect of the business. And that allows us to, we have a saying, it's uh, proceed with confidence, right? And I like so that. You, you can hit the gas pedal because you know we've got the risk stuff covered. Yeah. Um, and to your point, we're not sitting there with the, uh, with the clipboard and then handing it to, to the board and saying, "Look here, um, it's a much more holistic conversation with our board and with our stakeholders, um, and it allows us to move faster, but 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 no less to, You know, but, but with no less you know attention to risk."
0: I love, I'm stealing that. That might be the title of this episode. Proceed with confidence. (laughs) Well, Chris, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You are always so full of gems. I've definitely taken a bunch of notes today. Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me and uh, so excited for all your success.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Urban Girl Corporate World podcast. Be sure to tune in on Wednesdays for more. We'll see you later. Bye, guys.